0: Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio
1: Show. This is a straight-talking show that's dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs to be more successful. And I'm coming to you from L.A., where the weather is always gorgeous. Uh, We receive emails every week from all over the world, and um, this program's all about helping you, doesn't matter where in the world you are or what sort of business you have. So we know that we've got listeners on five continents, so I want you to write to me, email me, tweet me, be my contact on LinkedIn, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out every month, tell me what you think, Share your ideas and your criticisms and, uh, let me know what it is that you want to talk about. You know, the, the great thing about today's business environment and, uh, the technology is that in almost every country of the world, if you have a great idea and you've got commitment and you've got perseverance, you can be anything you want to be. You can guarantee to be successful, but it doesn't happen first shot every time. Sometimes you need to try over and over again and persevere and persevere, but it will come. Um, I had the privilege during the week of appearing for Ovation Speakers Bureau in Sydney, Australia to about 300 of their clients. It was a great Day And fortunately, I got a terrific response, which is always gratifying. Now, if you go to my website, www.bobprichard.com and click on my 2012 blog page, you can watch the presentation that I did to Ovations. But more importantly than that, it's Ovations' 25th anniversary, and I want to congratulate Leanne and the team on a fantastic achievement. They are one of the most professional and hardworking working Speakers bureaus in the world. So thanks team. I enjoyed, um, presenting for you and I hope that you're now listening in Sydney, Australia. Now, as I discussed last week, we need to do everything we can to assist small business and startups and to encourage entrepreneurs. It's entrepreneurs that will keep us ahead in the, in the global technology. It's entrepreneurs that are going to create all the jobs in the 21st century. So you're listening, if you're listening to this show and you've got some money to invest, even if it's a relatively small amount, you can help an entrepreneur or a veteran to realize their dream, but more importantly, help revitalize the economy and employ some more people. Remember that Facebook has resulted in the employment of 454,000 people. So I'm not, in talk- I'm not talking about you investing unwisely. You certainly need to do your due diligence. But there's some great ideas out there and there's some good returns to be had, both financially and emotionally. So if you'd like to be pointed in the direction of some good early-stage investments, send me an email, bob at bobpritchard.com, and I will refer you on. I also had a drink during the week with a very close friend, Sebastian Petralia who is a car tragic and is planning a concourse d'elegance. So if you're an expert in this area and you've been involved in staging such an event before, I would love to hear from you. Again, drop me an email. So when it comes to business, there's only really three words that count, apart from work, work, work. They are return On investment. Now I've always been amazed that business executives in general and marketers in particular have managed to avoid measuring almost every marketing initiative. Sure, many companies measure the effectiveness of some below the line activities, but in my view, marketing is every interaction between a company and its potential customers. Because every interaction, every time you contact a customer, it's an opportunity to sell. It's an opportunity to build your brand. It's an opportunity to um, build your customer service. Now, that can be literally 10 to 15 transactions in a lot of businesses. And the return on investment of very few of these is actually measured. Now, that's really pretty pathetic in a time when technology allows us to measure everything. And it's really an indictment of the marketing profession. In such a competitive business environment, it's critical that we know the ROI of every investment and every initiative we take. And technology gives us the tools to do this. Measuring return on investment on each marketing activity is critical to proving effectiveness and competing inside your business for the scarce resources that are going to be doled out by the board. Now, 63% of chief marketing officers think that return on investment will be the primary measure of their effectiveness by the year 2015. But what was profoundly revealing was that 56% of CMOs said they feel inadequately prepared to measure ROI. That means the pressure is on To calculate ROI in ways that yield accurate, supportable numbers, particularly when it's pertaining to marketing expenditures. And measuring ROI effectively, it's going to help marketers add value to their organisations and attract their fair share of resources. You know, I think that um, the amount of money allocated to marketing um, has been declining in real terms because Marketers haven't been able to articulate a case strong enough to get better resources. Now, the math can be pretty basic, but the components aren't always easy to figure out. Any solid return on investment calculation, it should measure revenue generated by the marketing campaign, the profit margin on the item sold, and all campaign and marketing-related expenses. Now profit margin can be difficult for organisations to quantify because it incorporates the cost of operations, but it's a necessary ingredient if you want to measure ROI accurately. You've got to take into account everything. Keep in mind that to be able to quantify revenue generated by the marketing campaign, the campaigns need to have been designed to capture responses in the form of revenue from sales. You know, the simplest, but highly inaccurate way of measuring the return on investment is simply the profit divided by the total cost of the campaign, and that's probably the one most used. But this simple ROI calculator, it's a solid metric for getting a quick indication of campaign performance, and it enables you to compare campaigns, but it certainly isn't an accurate measure of the return. This formula is also useful for measuring pilot marketing campaigns, but you must take into account that they're likely to have a lot of extraordinary expenses that wouldn't apply once project efficiencies are captured in a fully blown campaign. So although this simple ROI calculation is a good starting point and it keeps things reasonably simple, it lacks several very important enhancements. It often doesn't factor in all of the costs associated with a campaign and it doesn't consider the impact of control groups. Both of these are required if you want to evaluate the actual revenue generated by a campaign. One of the reasons that few marketing companies have marketing people on their boards is because they're not seen to be as fiscally responsible as other departments in the company. Marketers will need to take a much more advanced approach to to ROI calculation and be more fiscally analytical if they want to be considered in the same league as many other departments in the company and if they want to be evaluated by similar financial measurements. While the jury's still out on how detailed these ROI calculations need to be, there is consensus that it needs to be a lot more detailed and extensive than it is now. Some marketers hold the view that advanced return on investment calculations should include all of the costs associated with having a marketing department, such as, you know, salaries and benefits and office space and computers and software and electricity and all that stuff, plus all of the direct campaign costs. All of these costs added together would give you the cost of campaign formula, but that's very tricky to work out. Also important in advanced approaches to calculating return on investment is to factor in dollars generated and purchases generated for both the target group and a control group. If you do this, it'll help you answer important questions such as whether the average purchase dollar amount was higher from the target group or from the control group, or whether the target group purchased at a higher rate than the control group. Another view is also that this is far too simplistic, as factors such as competition responses to your initiatives need to be taken into account. Also, in FMCGs, that's fast-moving consumer groups, you would need to discount retailer incentives as you would like to have. You'd probably have to pay them anyway. Listing fees are usually also a one-off that would have to be discounted. So there's a debate about the way to calculate ROI so that you get the most accurate result. And I think this is going to vary depending on the industry, and in my view, a calculation to within a percent or two is probably close enough. Just remember a couple of things. Include all the costs involved. That's the first thing. First thing. Too often we underestimate the real cost of goods and the actual cost of a promotional campaign. Too often we ignore the true cost of the campaign, which can make a hell of a difference to the ROI. The other thing to take into account is sales you would have received if you didn't do any marketing at all. It wouldn't be zero. So your return on investment needs to only the incremental increase in sales that the promotion generates. The best part of all this is that marketers and companies are now at least beginning to take it seriously. Maybe marketers can regain their seat at the boardroom table. We get a huge stack of emails every week to the program, and my consulting business gets hundreds more. This proves that almost every company needs advice, whether regularly or from time to time. Now, how often do you need some expert advice on something at your business? You might want to maximise your presence at a trade show. It could be you want to check the effectiveness of an advertisement, whether to take up an offer from a radio station, how to maximise sponsorship of a little league team. It could be 101 things. So where do you go for help if you don't have a marketing director or you don't have a business manager? Well, there's a system available now where you can get a world-class consultant for just two grand a month face-to-face on Skype, and you can find out information on any business subject. So if you'd like more information on this, send me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com, and I'll put you in touch with them. If you want to know more about the 15 keys that will guarantee you success, I've been talking about this now for 20-odd years, I develop 15 keys that will guarantee the business success. I don't care what the business is or what the product is. Now, of course, the more, and this is in my new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets. And, of course, just doing those things will make you successful, but you need to go into them further if you want to become extremely successful. But at least it will stop you from having an also-ran business. So don't forget to let me know what you'd like to talk about in the program. Go to bobpritchard.com. Just get in touch with me and let's get this economy moving again. I've got a couple of great guests today. And in a couple of minutes, I'll be back with the first one.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back
1: to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Business Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life as very average, ordinary people, just like most of us. What makes them interesting, unusual and great? Well... That's a bit of a mystery in most cases, but this is the segment where we try to unravel that and find out. My guest today in this segment is Simon Jordan, who I've reached in London early morning, a fascinating guy with a fantastic website, and uh, let me tell you a bit about it. Simon Jordan went from, in his 20s, obviously a death wish, weighing 320 pounds, now that's 146 kilos for you um, back in my home country of Australia. Binge eating, drinking and drugs. Sounds like <laughs> many of us. Um, 18 months later, weighing 182 pounds, which is 82 kilos, he finished London Marathon in 3 hours and 45 minutes. Jesus, I couldn't even drive it in 3 hours and 45 minutes. And clean from drink and from drugs. Now, he puts that same dedication into business. One year into setting up his marketing company, he set up his own highly acclaimed online TV channel, sharing marketing tips to a global audience. He's put his success down to the power of social media. Author of How to Skyrocket Your Business Without Burning Your Fingers, which has received five stars on Amazon. He is a fascinating guy. We had a chat before the before this interview and he is um, very interesting. Hi Simon, welcome to the Bob Hi, Pritchard Radio Show. Yeah, good
2: morning, good evening, good afternoon. What we'll time of listening. Well Thank I'm you here in Los Angeles.
1: Ago, so I'm here in Los Angeles, so it's actually late afternoon. Time for a oh, time for a excellent. cocktail. Excellent. Okay. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> From being overweight <laughs> and on a downward spiral,
2: you know, what was yeah. it
1: that made you make the decision to say hey this isn't working for me i'm going to turn my life around
2: to be honest it was it was anger and it was anger at going to the doctors my my ex said to me hey you know simon you need to go and sort yourself out i was like yeah really <laughs> i mean i mean I was, I was i was wanting to to take uh to, you know take an easy trip off the planet i was in a, in a bad way very dark place so I went to the doctor, and we all believe the doctors are, you know, they're, they're the gurus, and, you know, they're, they're the people to listen to. And they said, well, okay, son, yeah, you pressed, have a tablet. I thought, well, you know, I've been taking, I've been taking yeah. tablets, it's happened to be illegal ones. one. But I thought, is that it? Is Seriously, is that it? Is that all you're going to do? Well, I got really angry. Um, I went home and just just thought, this is crazy. So... They're not going to do it for me. No one else is going to do it for me. I've got to do it. If I'm really wanting to make a shift, I've got to do it myself. And it's it's really a motto for, for everyone's life.
1: Takes a you hell of a lot we, of guts, we, though, mate. A lot of guts.
2: It, it does, it does. But, you know, we, I mean, we live, I'm not sure about Australia, but, you know, we have these things out here, these adverts for, you know, where there's a claim, there's a blame. Well, you know what? If you trip over in the street, Maybe you should have looked where you were going. You know, if if you know, yeah, <laughs> there's I a hole, don't walk in it. Walk over it. Walk around it. Don't blame someone else. You've got to take, you know, um, oh, your own responsibility. And I think there's there's a certain lack of that. I'm not going to well, go I, off on one about this because it's a bigger
1: subject. Well, I've lived in California it, for 25 years, and I think you're totally right. You know, nobody takes responsibility. Always blame somebody else. It's a hell of a lot easier than, than yeah. looking yourself What's in the mirror. Bit? I mean, I
2: wasn't. I wasn't saying, "Oh, I'm heavy boned," or "I'm," you know, "I have got a." No, you know, other people say oh, it's my glands, you know, that, that are making me big. No, yeah, it was right. my hands that were making me big. It was my hands that were going in the fridge and eating all the cake and, and all that kind of stuff. It was my doing that did it. I know some people do have issues you with know, the medical problems, but yeah. for me, it was, a, it was about my my problems. And so I thought, okay, I need to start doing something. Now, the only time I used to run was to run down the shop to get the, <laughs> get the, the next... Get uh, another you know, of, but, Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I thought, right, I've got to do it. And a really good way, um, I mean, I'm, the rest of my family are very, very healthy. And they're, they're runners. I thought, okay, I'll start running. I've never really run before. So I started running. Um and it was i just i entered into a series of road races because I wanted some goals because if you just go running you know you can stop whenever you want, but if you 've got a goal so i I started doing a a road race um and i um yeah then did a half marathon then did a twenty mile road race um joined a running club as well so i I was wanting to be with other people who could also spur me on um mm. and you just align yourself and I think you know i if people listening to this if they're thinking well how can I get further align yourself with people who are already doing it who are already um, at the top of their game or at least a lot further up than you are yeah. and I was I stopped hanging around with the kind of people that were that were bringing me down keeping me where I was yeah. and I said I'd join the running club so these guys incredibly fit and healthy <laughs> me running <laughs> up the road dying on my back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's um, and that's what I did, and it, it made a difference. Now I said, yeah, eighteen months later, weighing thirteen stone, well, I did not want how pounds that is, but um, yeah, I lost all that. Yeah, hundred and eighty <laughs> two. So, but yeah, it was um, a big difference, and I've right. tried to sort of carry that. On. Yeah, I've still had the pitfalls, you know. I've gone through divorce, I have had bankruptcy in a business because of two clients going bust on me. Yeah. Um You know, it's it's it's, it's a part of life, that just, but just you, you've isn't? just got to do it yourself.
1: Yep. Now, you say on your website that it took, you took your business from local to global in seven months. Now, how the hell did you do that?
2: Ah, uh, well, it's all bribery and
1: corruption. <laughs> That's that the was. best way. It <laughs> it <was. laughs> Either be born <laughs> rich or bribe and corrupt. They're the only two ways to go. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, where it was it? Was, um, I started local. I mean, I've been in the, uh, the marketing ad, ad, uh, advertising industry for 25 years, so I know how to market a brand. I know how to build a brand. Um, Working with all the big corporate, so sure. I started um, my own business. I left the corporate world. I thought I've had enough. I started my own, and within first year, I, mean, I was going to all the networking events locally, which was great. But I was I wanted to spread out. I wanted to go further afield. Now it's only me, and it was my PA as well at the time. And I thought, well, how can I do this? I don't have huge budgets. Well, that's the beauty of social media. So I I, I thought, okay, you've got to add value. Jim Rohn, the great late Jim yep. Rohn, always used yep. to say. You're paid for the value you bring to the marketplace, not your time, it's the value. So I thought, well, how can I add more value to my prospective clients? How can I get my name out there, but also share my knowledge, help people? You know, yep. Living is about giving. Yep, I agree. So I created the SimonJordan.tv show, and yeah, within seven months, i had been booked. I remember it was using social media as well, so it's on YouTube, I'm using Twitter, using Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Plus wasn't around then. And I remember I was I gone to spend a day with someone teaching them how to use video blogging. Now, I'm not an expert on video blogging. I just I just learned. I went out there and sourced all the information. And this is it, you know, going back to taking responsibility. I thought, well, I I want to learn this. Where do I go? Okay, so I started doing the research, bought some DVDs, watched other people, see how they did it, asked the questions and found out how to put the show together. How to mm. film it, was the best way to light, sound, edit, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And I was then teaching it to someone else. And I went out and said, I'll just spend a day teaching this lady how to do um, these, these videos for, for online marketing. And someone in the States saw that tweet. And they said, hey, do you fancy coming and do some, doing something with us? And they'd seen my site, seen what I was about. And, yeah, I was booked and I was speaking in San Diego. And the lady was actually Carrie Wilkerson. Um, yep. And it was an event called Speak, Shoot and Sell. Yep. Uh, she's very, very big over in the States. And sure. her friend, Paul, my friend is Paul Evans. So that was the start of it. But I then started picking up customers in, and clients in California. Um, yep, hello. And
1: I... That would probably my the from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it,
2: it, it was amazing. Just what the you, power of that. And it's...
1: Yeah, sorry. So what do you believe is the most important factor in, in success with a SME? What, if, if there's one thing that they have to do and have to do really well, what is it?
2: Uh, know your target market. Yeah. Know who it is that you that you are aiming for, because yeah. a lot of people will say, "I just want everyone." Well, yeah, you know, that's a lot of people. You know, <laughs> it's in you know, a word, this is spray <laughs> and pray method. But you you need to know who is it that you want. To, and actually, there's two things. You need to know who you're targeting, and you need to know them really well, almost as well as you know yourself. Where do they hang out? What do they read? What car do they drive? What dog do they have? Do they play golf? All this kind of stuff. So, so you can gear your marketing up exactly for them. Because as the market changes, their needs will change, and you will know that. What you're selling is still the same, but what they are, are needing might be slightly different. And the marketing is all basically about packaging. It's packaging it in order for someone to, to, to see and understand it. that's what they want. It's yeah. still, the, in the essence of it, stays the same. And the next one is, know the benefits of what you're offering. Whatever your product is or services, what are the true benefits? And so many people get hung up on the features, you know. we don't care about the features.
1: Features never sold anybody anything.
2: Exactly. What are the benefits? I suppose thirdly, get passionate. Get fired up. I mean, I I, I would buy a broken pen off someone who was passionate.
1: (laughs) I I, I did an interview with Tim Draper. Um, who I know well, and uh, Tim mm. was responsible for um, a couple of minor hits like um, Hotmail and Skype and Baidu and a few of those. And yep. he said what he buys is passion. If an yep. entrepreneur is passionate, providing the idea stacks up, he's in. If he, if he doesn't get that passion, he's out. So what, um, what are some of the common mistakes that small business owners make?
2: Well, but I mean, I've sort of touched on it there, really. They, they don't understand their target market. And if, if, if you're an SME, and you are going to networking events, you know, you are a small business owner, and you're going to networking events, and you get the, I know they have B&I worldwide,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Um those other groups opening up as well, I mean, there's all some new one opening up every other day. But you get a, you know, you get a slot to stand up and say, Hi, I'm Simon Jordan and I run a marketing company. I'm looking for any SME who will help with marketing. Yep. And people are thinking, well, who are you? Um, well, do I know anyone? Not really. And I'll give you a classic example. A guy came to me who, who ran a products promotion company. Yep. You know, the companies that sell the mouse masks, mm-hmm. the pen, the mugs, the, all this kind of stuff with a logo on it. Yep. And he came to me and said, Simon, we, we're, we're struggling. Our sales have really dropped. Um, and we looked at his marketing. I said, okay, Bob, his name wasn't Bob, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, Bob, what, what is it that is your biggest seller? And he said, well, it's clothing. It is clothing that's the biggest seller. I said, okay, let's do a study. We, we were in a room at the time, and I said to someone, can you, recommend, can you think of another company that you, are, that you know of that could do with some marketing you know, um, products such as pens, mouse mats? And they struggled to come up with one or two. I said, okay, mm-hmm. can you think of anyone who would um, benefit from having their logo on an item of clothing such a T-shirt or a hoodie or a top or whatever. And they're like, yeah. yes, certainly. Well, you've got bar owners, you've got bar staff, you've got scaffolders, you've got builders, you've got painters, decorators, plumbers. And the list went on. And I said, there you go. I mean, I knew that that was going to happen, but I wanted to demonstrate to him. I said, because when people are seeing, coming across your website or they're out networking, and you're telling people what it is you do, you're giving them such a wide array of information yeah. that they, they can't focus their mind, they can't hone down. But when you say, We if you just stood up and said we provide clothing um with your logo on it, so you, when you're out and about up a scaffolding or whatever <laughs> or, or a ladder yeah. people can see and you can promote your business on your get it and see your marketing needs to work with or without you. So when you're meeting someone for the first it's time you need to get your yeah, you need to get your business Information across so that person can then help sell you on, before yep. you on. So those are one of some of the common mistakes of uh, business owners,
1: definitely. I'm very impressed with how you've used social media, just going through your website and the following that you've built up. What are the keys to really making social media work for you?
2: Connection. Social media is, as it said in the first place, it's being social. I liken it to a huge bar. In fact, I did a, an episode of a TV channel called uh, Twitter Explained in Plain English. And what a lot of people do, they think, "Great, we'll sign up, we'll start connecting with people, or just adding them, and we'll start selling to them." No, social media means being social. So you need to connect with people. And what I've suggested exactly is, is exactly. I use Hootsuite because it's brilliant. I don't use the, the Twitter website because it just it's it's it, it, it's. Absolute basic, it, it's okay. But with Hootsuite, and again, I did another video of how to use Hootsuite, and it basically it allows you to to see what's going on. Now, I've got thousand followers. I never see what's in my friends' feed because it updates every nanosecond. I it just go, I I, <laughs> I couldn't follow it. It's too yeah, much. Sure. So I have a series of columns, and I have lists. I've created lists. So I, I have a guru list, so the people who I admire, who I follow. That's the one that I'm on. There. Yeah, exactly. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you you can see what's going on. I mean, you've got your mentions list. You've got your direct mails. Sure. list. But I've also got a friend's one. I've got a client's one. Yeah. So, I know, three times a day, I just nip in, see what I've been saying, retweet or whatever. Some, every other day, I would go in and spend a little bit longer on there. But I'd probably spend half an hour a day in total.
1: Uh, that was to be my... Go in, that was going to be my final question to you because we're running out of time. How much? How okay. much time do you spend on social media a day? On an on an. Average?
2: I would probably say about, about half an hour, really. I mean, I do a lot of blogging, which links through my my blog. Um, and this is a bigger conversation, but the strategies I use for my website put it this way: what I now do um, and what I've implemented the strategies my, to bring in more traffic and build my list online has gone from 200 visitors a day to over 1,000. In fact, last year, I think it was 1,500 visitors a day um, on my site overall, and that's because of using social media strategies. So it's I would say about half an hour a day, but a lot of stuff happens automatically in the background.
1: Mate, great to speak with you. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you next, very much. Next time I get to London, I'm going to call you, and we're going to go and have a beer, or whatever oh, is your fancy. Without doubt. I, I without really enjoyed doubt. talking to you. And... Um, If you'd like to find out even more about Simon, go to his website, www.simonjordan.com. That's www.simonjordan.com. Now, I'll be back for the last segment of the show just after this short break.
0: and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sanjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary people and what makes them tick. You know, most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in average circumstances, just like most of us. But what makes them interesting, unusual, and great? Well, this is a segment where we find out. My guest today is Errol Michael Henry, a guy who lives his life at warp speed. Having owned and managed businesses since he was 18 years old, Errol created Warp Speed Training Solutions, described as a revolutionary training technique that transforms workplace cultures by showing how permanent changes can be made in just a split second. Errol says, A lot of people want to do well in life, but simply don't know how. So they fail, not because they lack ability, but simply due to a lack of readily available insight." and uh, regular listeners to this show understand that this is also my philosophy, totally. Now, I caught up with Errol in London. Errol, welcome to the show.
4: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on, Bob.
1: It's a pleasure. You're known as the Warp Speed Guy. What Mm. does that concept really mean to you personally?
4: Um, Very simply, it's a state of mind, an attitude. It's an approach. It's uh, a decision, actually, to... Leave out the subtext and focus on the substance.
1: Okay. So what would the warp speed concept mean to somebody in business? So somebody's running, you know, your ordinary everyday business. What does it mean to them?
4: It means simply this. If people are learning faster, Mm -hmm. adapting faster, changing faster and implementing those changes faster. They're going to improve faster. Yep. They're going to notice the difference, so will their customers. Everyone notices improvements are what people notice first.
1: So is the information simpler or is it, is it put across in a different way? I mean, what makes Ooh. the information so easily, easily well, grasped? I'll give you an example.
4: Imagine this as an, as an idea. Um, simple truths simply delivered. Okay. Okay? So I could teach you a whole bunch of things or get you to accept the principle where you do it yourself. So for instance, freedom is an idea.
1: Mm
4: -hmm. The minute you understand the idea, you're free, even if your circumstances don't change.
1: But isn't business more complicated? I mean, you know, particularly... No, it isn't. And that's
4: the problem. What is business? It's a transaction that benefits both parties. That's all. You won't deal with somebody unless you get something out of the deal. That's simple. People, people don't actually get sold things, they buy them. And what they're looking for is value something that gives them value for the dollar they're giving you in exchange, right? Yep. So, walk Speed Training is about showing people how to demonstrate value quickly. Because as soon as someone sees the value, it's as soon as you see their money.
1: So, is this primarily for? people in
4: sales and no not at all it's for people people everywhere it's for people everywhere and i'll I'll tell you why a lot of companies spend a lot of money on training skills training yes but if you trained an idiot what you have is a well-trained idiot (laughs) yeah a lot of them are at (laughs) okay so you'd be better off improving the caliber of the person that you're training So, for instance, people don't understand the economic and commercial value of excellence, but anyone who understands it hasn't got the thought anymore. They do it themselves for their own reasons, and they're going to bring that to work with them. So quite a lot of companies spend money on software or new machinery, but don't actually teach people about how to improve themselves, and you'll find the weak link in the chain is the person.
1: Yeah, I I was thinking, say, for example, um, uh, customer service. Yeah. Um, everybody working in business has been told since they started business how important customer service is and they've had it drummed into them and drummed into them and drummed into them and they've sat through hundreds of hours of seminars mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. customer service still stinks. Right. Why is that?
4: Because the person offering the customer service invariably isn't happy. So it seems insane to me. You spend tens of thousands of pounds forcing people to do seminars to make sure when the customers ring that they're well treated. Yet often the companies concerned don't treat their own employees particularly well. So you're asking people to lie.
1: Yeah, okay, I'll wear that. Um, so what are the essentials in outperforming a competitor today? Because, you know, things are getting more and more commoditized. It's getting mm-hmm. more and more difficult to differentiate yourself from your competitors. So what's, what's the essential key to um, outperforming competitors?
4: Well, let me answer that question with a question. Why did the iPad, which, by the way, isn't a new idea. People tried it before. Why is it wiped the floor with all comers? There's a very simple reason. They ain't cheap. But why? Hundreds of millions of units. Why? Why is that machine selling like it is? Simply this. They found a way to communicate the immediate benefits of ownership. That's it. People sleep out on the street queue, wait to buy one because owning one they believe will make their life better. So the way to improve yourself, improve your corporation, improve your bottom line is to communicate the value of what you do to the person that wants it. That's it. It isn't a mystery. You said business is complicated. It's not complicated at all. People want stuff. You sell stuff. You find a reason for them to buy what you're selling. They'll buy it. So show them how owning it will help them. They'll buy
1: it. So it's about enhancing your value proposition,
4: not in, enhancing it. People have to understand it. So, for instance, when I, when people come to me and say, "Well, look, I've got a degree in this, or I've got a you know a qualification in that," and they gave me all the reasons about how they got it, I said, "Look, I don't care. Tell me how I can make money from what you do." That's what I'm going to pay you for. The rest of it, I'm interested in. How do I profit from what you know how to do? Because if you can't tell me, I can't pay you.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a fundamental um, issue in business today. I, I have a thing mm-hmm. where I say to people, at the end of each day, let's say mm-hmm. you go home at 6 o'clock, at 5 to 6, sit down and make a list. Mm-hmm. The, you say to somebody, how was your day? And they say, God, I was busy, I was so busy, mm-hmm. I didn't stop mm-hmm. for a minute. And you say, mm-hmm. well, how much money did you actually make for the company today? And the answer yeah. is nil. For right. 99% of people, the answer is nil. And yet they've been Correct. as busy as hell.
4: Correct. Because so, people have confused busyness with productivity. They're different things.
1: Yeah, they are. They're
4: very different things.
1: And I think we've lost... Sight of that. Yeah, we've lost, the, lost sight of the yeah. fact that to make money, we have to sell somebody something. Correct. It's something that they treated. want. So why, that's such a simple thing to get across to people. Why is it so hard?
4: Um, the the answer is not pleasant, but a lot of it has to do with what I call intellectual vanity. Yeah. Um, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter has made everybody a superstar. So people are very focused on what they do. Very focused on what they do. Mm-hmm. My question is, why would I care about what you do? The thing is, give me a reason to care. No, oh, I agree. So, so okay. a, lot, a lot of companies, for instance, spend fortunes promoting their brand without even checking if
1: anybody cares about that brand. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. So it's the essentials of outperforming, outperforming competitors are what? Simply this. Do what it is that you do
4: better than they do what they do. Deliver value that people can make sense of, value that people will pay for. And that value doesn't start with the price. If something's too expensive for what it is, no one's going to buy it. And if it's just the right product and it's too cheap, you just throw away money for no good reason. So value has got nothing to do with price and everything to do with perception.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that value can't, can't end up with the product. The value has to start with the people. So, very simply this, if companies were to spend a little more time, a little more money, uh, generating a sense of value, even from within their own staff, that would translate to greater productivity, greater efficiency, less time off sick, less time off stress, and a better quality of service delivered to people, which improves a corporate bottom line. So, instead, they spend millions on advertising and nothing on the people who will answer the phone when it rings. It's insane.
1: I agree with that. That's a, that's a big mm. mantra of mine. Um, so mm. it comes back to corporate culture. It comes back to the, Absolutely. the leaders in the company. And I'm not only talking about the CEO. I'm talking about all the leaders in all the various, um, Absolutely. positions in the company have a responsibility then to engender this simple value proposition, yeah. if you like,
4: that's through right. the company. That's right. That's right. But what you're going to find though, an awful lot of people in middle and senior management are what I call box tickers. They were put there because of their education or where they've been previously, and they tick boxes. They often don't actually have any real heart for the people they're managing. They manage them as commodities, not as people. Yep. So there's a guy, for instance, he's the smartest guy in the block. You know, He's got you know, impressive qualifications. He's achieved things previously. So they put him in charge of the department. Because he's a great manager of departments, but a horrible manager of people.
1: Yeah. He's not a people person. He's
4: not, not at all. Not at all. I'm not talking about running around hugging and kissing people all day. I'm talking about giving people the reason to give you more than you pay them for. Yeah. You know, companies are spending fortunes improving the payroll, increasing the payroll, but not improving the caliber of the person that they're paying. Yeah. It's yeah, I understand it's that. To me. It's amazing to me. So, so you having to pay people more money every year to do the same job as they did last year. Which to me is insane. Why would you do that? So how The can, customers won't keep paying more, will they?
1: <laughs> so, how can business leaders be outstanding in a crowded marketplace? How do you. Well, you see, that word outstanding
4: is a clue to the, to the strategy. You need to stand out. Stand out. If everyone's going left, go right. If everyone's cutting prices, you might do well to put yours up. During an economic downturn, um, Rolls Royce had record sales last year. You know, their cars are 300000 $400,000 a time. They have record sales. Yeah. People don't see the price, they see the quality. Well. So then, I think companies need to look at quality, not at just cutting margins. Yeah, well, price so if you keep selling cheaper and cheaper products. Look, mm. you keep selling cheap, cheap becomes the selling point. Absolutely. And there'll be someone who's cheaper than you.
1: You focus on price, you sell based on price. That's, that's Correct. true.
4: Sure. You you, know, you live by the price, you die by the price. Yep. And I'm afraid because of globalization, people can get cheap stuff anywhere. Trick of a mouse, done. Yep. Done. So the thing is, I think quality is harder to, 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 to define. And if you can show people that you have it, they don't care about the price. What they want is the quality.
1: I agree. I agree entirely. So I'm saying a lot of companies
4: need to look at quality, not just the bottom line, not just how cheaply can we buy a particular component or how cheaply can we buy in services what is the quality of service that we're buying you know outsourcing was the great savior of the world well actually no a lot of companies lost millions outsourcing because they lost their customers they're never coming back
1: and still have still are never coming back so what's the remedy for a challenging economy
4: i think the remedy is to respect the fact that consumers have choice it's simple it's simple that people have a choice and the internet has changed how we interact with our choices.
3: Absolutely.
4: I, I can visit 100 shops in 10 minutes without leaving my house. Hmm. And if I don't feel respected, I'm leaving. If I don't feel that the people who built that website were even thinking about me, I'm not staying. And the worst thing about it is they'll never know that I was there. Yep.
3: Sticking and you never go back. On.
4: Never go back. Yep. And it's actually a known fact. People never revisit websites they didn't like. That's never. right. Never. So, 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 so I think, again, a lot of companies think that having a website... It means that you have a digital strategy. It doesn't. It means you have a website. Yeah, one of five hundred million on the internet right now. Who cares?
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, what are the next steps that businesses should take to become an industry leader? Well, I
4: think people need to decide on a corporate strategy. What is it that we're trying to do? Now, find a theme that everybody can get on board with, and everybody agrees with. From the boardroom to, to the people who through the streets, what are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? Who's going to care? How do the people doing it benefit from doing so? So for instance, a lot of managers are demanding increased productivity from people further down the food chain. Yeah. My question is this, what are you doing to initiate that? Because if you get greater productivity without doing anything, the people have proved that they can show greater leadership than they've seen. Yeah. So my thing is, tell them something they haven't heard before. Right. Show them something they haven't seen before. Do something for them you haven't done before, and then you have a right to expect a different outcome. But to expect the same outcomes from the same inputs is delusional.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, Errol, it was, it was great to speak with you. What's the weather like
4: there in London? Uh, at the moment, it's a little cloudy, but then it is London, so it's usually yeah, cloudy. It's uh, but we're expecting some sun later on.
1: <laughs> okay, good. I, hope, I wish you lots of luck. Oh, um, thank you. So, so if you'd like to find out even more about Errol, Go to his website, www.erallmichaelhenry.com. I'll do that again, com, And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back
1: to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show that's coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Most of the emails i receive are um, from the United States and I'd like to acknowledge our listeners in other countries. So each week I will read one email from somewhere else around the world. I think the reason this segment's so popular is that irrespective of where you are in the world or the size of your business or the nature of your business, um, we all have the same challenges. They might be bigger or smaller, but they fit into the same categories, and it doesn't matter whether you're in retail or a plumber or a painter or running an auto repair shop. So even though I may be answering a question from somebody who is a travel agent or makes window frames, the answer's most likely also going to apply to your business. My first email today comes from Nick Sawyer of Ipswich in England. Nick writes, I love your program. It's been a great help to my business. I also bought Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and it's a simple-to-understand read. I have a business making safety equipment for industry, and I'm trying to raise funds to expand. A couple of weeks ago, you said that investors don't want business plans. They want investor plans. I don't understand the difference. Could you please explain it to me? Let Nick, let me try to give you an, illust- an illustration. I receive about 10 to 15 business plans every single day from people who want advice or funding. And the average business plan I receive has probably got 40 to 50 pages in it, and some of them have got maybe 70. Now, so in a week, that's a 1,000 pages of information to read. It just isn't going to happen. So, and all of the investors I know just throw long drawn out business plans in the trash. Now I get 10 or 15, but some companies get 50. You know, what investors want to know is, is it a good idea? Is there a market for it? How big's the market? What's the competition? That's a page. Then if that makes sense and they like the opportunity, the next thing they want to know is whether the management has the skill sets to manage and grow the company. So it's important to have experienced management. Now, if you tick that box, then what we want to know now, if we put the money in, how do we get it out with a good profit and when? So I don't want a sentence that says exits through a trade sale or an IPO. They're just really easy to say words, really. I want to know details. I want to know how you've researched it and have some real answers. Then I'll look at how much money you need. All of this is a two-page document. Tight, concise, gives me all the information I need to know. Now, if that looks good, I'll then come back to you and ask you more specific questions or I might even ask you for a business plan. Then if I like what I see, I'll ask for a face-to-face meeting. Nick, since you already have kick-ass, I'll send you a copy of Marketing Magic. This is a book I wrote with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly. I'm confident that you will love it. It's a really good book. It's a really interesting read. My second email today is from Timothy Thompson of Memphis, Tennessee, who writes, Dear Bob, thanks for an excellent program that really is a great benefit to those of us who are starting out in business. I go to college in Memphis, and I really appreciated your editorial last week about there needing to be more encouragement and incentives for entrepreneurs in college. You said that 14% of college students start a business while in college. I think there are about 30 million students In college, so that is a huge number of potential entrepreneurs. I have a small business with e-books that is profitable, but my profit margins are very thin because of the competition that's available on the web. How can I maintain or increase my prices? Tim, that's a great question and applies to a lot of businesses today. The key is to differentiate yourself so that you can enhance your value proposition for your clients. While people see only a range of e-books, providing it's on the subject, price will be the determinant. So how do you differentiate yourself? Perhaps have a bonus article from somebody known well, somebody that's well known in the subject. You may be able to get them to write an article especially for you or allow you to reproduce an article. Perhaps you could answer some questions personally from your readers on Skype, costing you nothing but adding a lot of value. Tim, a copy of my book, Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition is on its way to you. You'll be able to get a lot more detail about anything you don't understand on the show. Remember, I want to hear from you, so visit my website at bob at bobpritchard.com, sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn, and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. That's it from me today in beautiful Los Angeles. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to being with you again, same time, next week.